Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Well, it's that week on the Beeson Podcast when I have the privilege of working with my friend, my colleague, Dr. Robert Smith, Jr., to bring to you a sermon from the Word of God by one of the outstanding uh, preachers of our time. And today is Father Raniero Cantalamesa. Father Cantalamesa is a Franciscan Capuchin priest in the Roman Catholic Church. He was born in Italy in 1934. He became an academic. He was a professor of classical literature and theology at the University of Milan, but felt a pull in his heart that God really wanted him to preach. And so he left the academic world, became a preacher, uh, and eventually became the preacher to the papal household under both John Paul II and uh, Benedict XVI. Uh, I came to know him and invited him along with the Roman Catholic bishop in Birmingham, Bishop Robert Baker, on behalf of both of us to come to our city. Uh, he spoke for Bishop Baker in some meetings, and he preached here at Beeson Divinity School in Hodges Chapel. It was a memorable event. Dr. Smith, tell us what we're going to hear from Father Cantalamesa. Father Cantalamesa, Dean George, is a preacher who has a heart for, for preachers. And his title, How to Become Effective Preachers of the Gospel, reflects his heart. He walks through Acts chapter 2. It's what he calls a sermon on Pentecost, and he is exposing the fact that there's a Pentecost before Pentecost. And uh, to be able to lift up Pentecost in the Old Testament and move it from an, an agricultural um, feast, harvest feast, to demonstrate that the harvest in Acts 2 comes as a result of the Holy Spirit, and to not just suggest, uh, but to contend for the fact that if you want to be an effective preacher— the Spirit of God has to be moving in your preaching and in your life so that word and spirit are never separated. I appreciate it, uh, this message because it's a message that makes clear that we are no longer people who reside in the Babel, the Babel experience, meaning confusion, but rather the clarity of Pentecost. So that's what he's, he's, he's treating, he's dealing with. Uh, I was uh, moved by the fact that he does quote uh, Martin Luther um, about three times approximately and lifts up, of course, Augustine, who uh, is uh, the voice for Luther. But I thought this was an excellent message from a person who has high pneumatology in terms of the doctrine of the spirit and who takes us to the cross and then concludes the sermon, Dean George, by asking us to pray Romans 10, 9, and 10 that is centered on confessing with our mouths the Lord Jesus and believing in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. So cross-resurrection, um, all of those are, if you will, preliminaries before the Spirit comes uh, after the ascension of Jesus. There's a lot of Bible in this sermon. Uh, the Holy Spirit is very present in this sermon. And as you say, Martin Luther and the message of justification and faith is here. 
Here's a person who preaches out of the depths across these historic divides and does it with a great sense of the Lord's presence in his life and faithfulness to the gospel. Let's listen to Father Raniero Cantalamesa, the preacher to the papal household, as he speaks at Beeson Divinity School. Let me first of all express my gratitude to Dean Timothy George and Bishop Becker for the honor, the privilege I have to address you, to be with you, to pray and sing with you in this place. It was precisely because the invitation came jointly from a Baptist uh, minister and the Catholic bishop that uh, encouraged me, decided me to add this last station to a tour I have made to the United States speaking, starting in Philadelphia through Notre Dame University, then Mexico, Guadalajara, and this now, this this final, very, very beautiful stage of my journey. Let us go straight to, to the matter, the word of God we have just uh, listened to. Uh, you have, uh, you have uh, remarked that uh, at the end of the reading, there was a question, the uh, question, what does this mean? And I should like to answer precisely this question the people of the day of Pentecost addressed to the Apostle. What does this mean? The title of this talk is How to Become Effective Preachers of Jesus. And the best answer to this question is to see how the Apostles became effective preachers of Jesus. And the way they become effective preachers, preachers of Jesus was uh, Pentecost. They had attended the best uh, seminary or university of the time, whose rector was Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, for three years. But they didn't really know uh, very much about Jesus, who really Jesus was. It was necessary to pass through the fire of Pentecost to understand who was this Jesus with whom he, they had lived. So the best way for us nowadays uh, to become effective disciples first and preachers of Jesus is to pass through the fire of Pentecost. There is something special about this page of the scripture. And the, what is special is that when we listen in faith to the account of Pentecost, the story becomes reality. What happened that day happens again. So the result of this meeting would not be just be to listen some reflections of Pentecost, but to go out with an invisible tongue of fire in our heart. Let us then go straight to the center, the core of the passage we have just listened to. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. There were some preparatory signs before, because God, when he is about to do something important, he sends signs beforehand to 
to enkindle the attention of the people. There, there was a, a, a sign for the, the airs. They heard a noise as if for, of a strong wind. Uh, the, the wind had the same name as the spirit in Hebrew, Ruach. They started entering in this dimension, this special attitude which precedes, precedes the theophanies. Then there was a sign for the eyes. They saw tongues of fire. Again, fire was at, at related to the spirit. Huh? This is the one who will baptize you in spirit and fire. But th these were just preparatory signs. The essence of Pentecost is told in less than one line. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Something <laughs> dramatic must have happened at that moment because from this very moment the apostles are completely new persons. So what, what, what happened at that moment? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It doesn't mean just they start speaking in other languages. This is one of the manifestations of the Spirit, not, not the, the, the essence of Pentecost. Being filled with the, the Holy Spirit means simply to be filled with the love of God. They made an overwhelming experience of being loved by God himself. So they, the substantial the love, the love of the Trinity, this flame of, which burns in the Trinity, uh, the love between the Father and the Son came down to the apostles and filled them with the love of God. It is St. Paul who explains Pentecost in this way, in Romans 5, 5. Uh, the love of God, which at this point means the love of God for us, not the contrary, not our Lord, lo love for God. The love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. This is a, a short account of Pentecost. Pentecost is this. And... In fact, St. Paul, whenever he speaks about the, 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 the achievements of the Spirit, he points to the fact that the most important achievement of the Spirit is to create, uh, to make us children of God, and to give us the knowledge of being children of God. The feeling, not just the knowledge, to feel God as Father. The author was explained in a, in a better way, this work of the Spirit, which took place the day of Pentecost and the Apostles, and takes place every time there, there is some, somebody born again, is Martin Luther. Martin Luther. In a sermon uh, for Pentecost, he gives a, a description of the work of the Spirit, which is, in my opinion, the clearest, the most uh, significant. I quoted this sermon of Luther even once in front of the Pope. So uh, we, live, we live in a time when we can take everything which is, which is from God for everywhere. Nobody objected. So the, the, ser, the sermon, uh, Luther says uh, more or less this. As far as long as a man or a woman lives according to the flesh... Uh, God appears to him to be an adversary, an obstacle, because the natural man, sinful man, lasts 
after power, pleasure, money, and so on. And God appears to him to be the one who blocks the way, saying, you must, you must not. You must not cover the woman of another person. And, and so, so in this, as, as long as a man lives according to the flesh, the old man, without the spirit, God is an adversary. There is a, a sword rancor against God, which is not an abstract description. This is what we are. It's the pho photography of, of a, a natural man. When the spirit comes to the heart, says Luther, he starts opening a new eye in us. A eye with which we start looking at God, not, not as an adversary, a jealous, somebody jealous of our joy, rather as your ally, the one who has created you for joy, so much so that he gave his only begotten son, for your salvation. So the man, little by little, starts looking at God in a new way, till the moment when he is ready to say, Abba, Father, now I know you. A, a, a child of God is born. This is what being, be born again from the Spirit means. Discover, realize that, that God is our Father and accept God our Father. And this is what happened to the apostles. But now, before going to the next section, let us uh, for a moment uh, go back to the beginning of the account. And uh, the beginning is like this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. When the day of Pentecost arrived, which means that Pentecost existed before Pentecost. <laughs> we are used to think that Pentecost was the, the feast of the, the coming of the Spirit. No, the feast of Pentecost existed. And all these peoples were gathered precisely to celebrate the feast of Pentecost. And that, as we cannot understand the full meaning of Christian Easter unless we see it as the fulfillment, as the fulfillment of the ancient Passover, so we cannot understand the full meaning of Pentecost unless we see it as the fulfillment of what Pentecost prophesied, prefigured. Now, at the beginning, the Pentecost was a, a feast attached to the cycle of seasons, was the moment when the first shaft of the, the harvest was uh, offered to God. But later on, in the history of Israel, this feast had acquired an historical uh, content. It was the feast which commemorated the events of Mount Sinai, the gift of the law, the commandments, and the establishment of the covenant, this, uh, the founding moment of the people of Israel. At the time of Jesus, certainly this was the main content of Pentecost, and nowadays, in the Hebrew liturgy, there is a text which says precisely this. Today, we celebrate the feast of the gift of our Torah. So what does it mean that the Holy Spirit comes upon the church precisely when Israel was celebrating the gift of the Torah? St. Augustine, I, I know I, I speak of somebody which is at home here in 
decent divinity school. St. Augustine asked the same question. See, he said to the people, look at the analogy and at the difference. Fifty days after the immolation of the lamb in Egypt, because according to internal reckoning, Mount Sinai happened 50 days after the coming out of Egypt. Fifty days after the immolation of the lamb and the exodus from Egypt, the Holy Spirit, the finger of God, wrote the law on tablets of stone. And 50 days after the immolation of the true Lamb of God, Jesus, again the, the finger of God, the Holy Spirit, writes the law. But this time not on tablets of stone, rather on the hearts of people. Which means that the Holy Spirit is the interior law of Christians, which St. Paul calls the law of the Spirit. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the Spirit, which gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. I many times encourage Catholic clergy to proclaim this beautiful statement, which is a liberating, an absolution. This is a general absolution. There is no condemnation, no psychological, no political, no, nothing free. At the time of St. Paul, to say some, a, a, a thing like this, it's like today, uh, somebody arriving and uh, proclaiming from afar to, to uh, a, a person sentenced to death, you are free, you have been acquitted, there has been a, a change in your, oh, it's a new birth, of course. Something of the kind must have passed in the heart of people who listen to this proclamation. There is no more condemnation for the law of the Spirit, which gives life. This is the difference uh, between the law and the ancient, uh, uh, this law and the ancient law. Gives life, the life of Jesus. And, and this is uh, an essential point in our Christian religion. Religion is the, the, the gift of interior law, which means that we are moved, our moral, Christian morality, comes from the love of the Spirit, out of love, it's not just a duty. <laughs> let me, let me uh, share with you a point which is very, very dear to me. What is the, the main difference between Christianity and any other religion or religious philosophy? Every religion starts telling people what they must do achieve salvation, either intellectual speculations or practical ascetical works. Uh, the scheme is always the same. You must do this to achieve a goal, to reach salvation, nirvana, and so on. We are full of respect of these this, this ways of, of, of honoring God. But Christianity doesn't start telling people that they must do, doesn't start with duties, start starts telling people what God has done for them. Grace. Christianity is a religion of grace. This is why I am so fond of amazing grace and I asked to 
to put this even on the... And why don't we sing together the first verse only of this, the again, again? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but am found. Was blind, but now I see. And what about duties then? What about the Ten Commandments? Of course, they have a place. <laughs> they, not just the Ten Commandments, the precepts of the Gospel, the, 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 for us Catholics, the canon law, for me as religious, my rule, my monastic rule, there is place. But after the second level, in Christianity, the first level is the gift, grace, and from grace descends duty. Of course, there is a, a, the, the greatest commandment of all, to love your God. But this comes after. St. John explains, in this consists love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us first. So the commandments are the, our response to the gift. Uh, this is, I, this is what uh, Luther had taught me. I knew abstractly, but the, this new emphasis has, has come to me precisely reading the work of Martin Luther. And, and of course, Luther himself depended on St. Augustine. St. Augustine had said, he rediscovered what St. Augustine had said very, very, very clearly. He said, St. Augustine, the salvation of God, uh, the justice of God, like the salvation of God, means the, the justice with which God makes us just. As the phrase, the salvation of God, means the salvation with which God saves us. So, uh, he rediscovered this, this beautiful... And I think we are, if we want... Uh, to shake the modern secularized world, so self-sufficient, so self-reliant, we need to unearth the sword of the Spirit. And this Christian message is the sword of the Spirit. As the power to shake an intelligence, as St. Paul, because the, the, there is the authority of God. God is not just uh, a reward. Uh, uh, reward. God is not never a debtor. Never. It's always greater. We are debtor of God. And this is the order in, in Christianity. First the gift and then the answer. If we read the, the letter to the Romans, we, we, we see this very clearly. St. Paul doesn't start telling people, uh, you must love each other, you must obey to the authority. No, no. He starts telling what... The situation in which we were, all have sinned and are deprived of the glory of God. But they are justified to the work of God. Then he goes on telling the content of the salvation, liberation from sin, the gift of the new the spirit, 
And then he starts telling people the results, the, the consequences. You, your love must be without pretense. You must obey the authority. All the, 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 the Christian virtues, the great struggle between faith and good works could have been avoided if we had, we, we looked more closely to the word of God. But now ta- the time has come to overcome this, this struggle. We must be united in pro- proclaiming, proclaiming uh, the goodness of Jesus jointly together, even in respecting the, the different traditions and styles of the different churches, which, which are a, 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 a gift, uh, not, not, not a, a loss. Are you already tired? Because if you write hard, I, I tell a story before going to the next session. And the story I have to- just told in broadcasting is this. The first time I had to deliver my, my sermon in front of the Pope in St. Peter's Basilica, I realized that I had to speak slowly because there was a resounding in the Basilica. Speaking slowly, I lasted 10 minutes more than I was supposed to. And the man in charge of the schedule of the Pope was quite concerned, and he looked at his watch very often. He was beside me. The day after, this man, who was a bishop, told to some sisters what had happened after the liturgy. After the liturgy, the Pope called him, and <clears throat> smiling said to him, when a man of, of God is speaking to us, we should not look at our watches. <laughs> I, I hope you imitate the purpose, at least in this. <laughs> now, let us go to the next section. They started speaking in different languages. There were uh, many peoples uh, gathered in uh, Jerusalem precisely for the Feast of Pentecost. And there is this long list of, of people. And the conclusion, what the, 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 the people say is very interesting. They say... Uh, <clears throat> We heard them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. We are so many different languages and we can understand them in our native language. How does this happen? Now, here there is an implicit message, which again, it was Luther who helped me in, in, in getting this insight. The explicit message of this section is that the spirit pushes the church to go out, to reach out to all the people. The implicit message consists in a, in a parallelism between what happens now and what happens at Babel. At Babel, they spoke one single language, and at a certain point, nobody could understand the other. Here, they speak very different languages. This is why there is a long list of people, and they understand it, each other. Now, <clears throat> the explanation uh, comes from listening to what the builders of Babel were saying. First of all, we should not look at the builders of Babel as great sinners who wanted to defy God. No, they were religious people, very pious people. What they wanted to build was a temple. Uh, we, uh, they are called Zikurat, temple whose ruins are still to be seen in Mesopotamia. So they were religious people. But listen what they say. Let, come, let us build a city with a tower in the middle of it. 
whose top will reach the sky. Till now, nothing very bad. Let us make a name for ourselves so that we should not be scattered over the face of the earth. They want to build a temple to, to God, but not for the glory of God, to make a name for themselves. This is why God has to, to destroy the, their projects. Now at Pentecost we find a group of people starting building a city, the city of God. But they, they no longer want to, to make a name for themselves. You see the, the big radical change the Holy Spirit has achieved in their heart. Be before Pentecost, any time the apostles met together, they discussed what? <laughs> Who could be the first among them? Now they have completely forgotten about themselves. They are, they are fascinated by the glory of God. And in fact, they proclaim the great deeds of God that we can imagine with... Uh, what enthusiasm, with, with, with what anointing they were speaking, and people, uh, people saw and uh, that they were filled with uh, the Holy Spirit. Now, the lessons to be taken from this section is quite clear. If we want to be effective preacher of the gospel, we want to be faithful disciple of Jesus, we must pass through this radical conversion for living for ourselves to living for the Lord. This is the way St. Paul puts the matter. Living, either you live for yourself, for your glory, your name, to make money and so on, or you live for the glory, for the glory of God. Which doesn't mean that you do not strive uh, to, to, a better, to a better life, yes, but your intention must be rectified so that the, the final goal of your life should not be your ego, your success in life, but the glory of God, the love of God. It's a radical change. St. Augustine wrote a book, uh, The City of God, and the, the scheme is precisely taken from here. He said there are two cities being built in the world, the city of Satan and the city of God. The city of Satan is called Babel, and the city of God is called Jerusalem, started the day of Pentecost. The city of Satan is built upon love for oneself till the rejection of God. The city of God is built upon love for God till the sacrifice of self. And these two cities are like two working places, open till the end of time. And each one of us must choose in which one of these two working places he wants to spend his or her life. Any initiative, any, even the new evangelization, uh, even the, this talk I am giving to you, can be either Babel or Pentecost. It depends on what <laughs> I intend to achieve. Let us pass to another section very shortly, I hope, because uh, we cannot end uh, a commentary on Pentecost without uh, mentioning this section, which is, of course, uh, the most important. 
After giving some explanations uh, to the people who objected, were uh, very perplexed about the, uh, what they saw, uh, he did this, quoting Joel. This is the moment when all the prophets have foretold, now has come true. This is what Joel meant when he said this, in the last days I will pour my spirit upon every person, old and young, men and women. But I have the impression that in giving this explanation, Peter is in a hurry. Because he has something more important to say. In fact, in the verses 22, there is a new introduction. Men of Israel, hear these words. And at that point, he pronounces a name. And he pronounces this name with uh, such anointing, uh, such fire, that 3,000 hearts started trembling. Jesus of Nazareth. I hardly can... Uh, Imagine how the, this name came out of the lip of, of Peter. Jesus of Nazareth. Do you remember this man who went around doing well to everybody? And when, when Peter is sure that they have uh, understood, he let two thunderbolts come out. You have killed him. God has raised him. And then at the end there is this conclusion which is a dogmatic definition. For this reason, the whole house of Israel, today he would have said the whole world, must know that God has made this Jesus, whom you have killed, both Lord and Messiah. This, the Lordship of Christ is the first definition, definition in, in the church. Now, what does this uh, mean for us. It means that the first, most important fruit of the coming of the Spirit is a new understanding, a new zeal for Jesus, a new desire to proclaim Jesus. And in fact, now Peter shows that he is ready to die for Jesus. Now they have acquired a full idea of Jesus. They are convinced that because of what this man had done a few weeks before, humanity was no longer, no longer the same. The, the destination of the world had changed. Only the Holy Spirit could give to a person a courage to say such, such a bold statement. And there is a new love for Jesus. Now, and... Peter gives us, because this is the first charismatic proclamation of the church. This is, uh, this is the first preaching, the day of Pentecost, when the church started this, the way they preached. Charismatic way, charismatic way. Means that, uh, first of all, we must proclaim what God has done in Christ Jesus. Then, when they asked, what shall we do, brethren? They, then duties come, go, repent, repent, be baptized, and there is all the rest. But first, there is the kerygma. You killed him, Paul says, he died for our sins, he rose again for our justification. And today, we must rediscover the kerygma, because we live in a, in a, in a, in a 
post-Christian world. Not completely, of course, because if we are here, this means that Christianity is not dead. But in the culture, in the media, in the Western world, uh, the United States and in, 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 in Europe, we are living in a post-Christian world. So we need to see how the apostles evangelized a pre-Christian world because our situation is much the same. We, they are, we are facing a pre-Christian world, we are facing a post-Christian world. And the way they sh shook the world was by proclaiming with the authority of the Spirit uh, the death and the resurrection of Christ and the Lordship of Jesus. Well, Lord Jesus, we know that you are here. You have risen. You are alive. You are here. And you have, you have such love for us. You died for every one of us. And after listening of this beautiful gift you gave to your apostles, and you are ready to give to every one of us, we thank you and we proclaim your lordship. And we proclaim your lordship by proclaiming together, please, a beautiful verse of the letter to the Romans, if with your lips you proclaim that Jesus is Lord, and in your heart you believe that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. Now, please, let, help me in letting the kerygma, the cry, resound in this beautiful temple uh, in, a, in, a, in louder voice. Uh, learn these short phrases. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Second phrase. God raised him from the dead. So at my first sign, you shout, please, Jesus is Lord. And the second sign, God raised him from the dead. It's a proclamation of faith, a jointly proclamation of faith. If with your lips you proclaim that, and in your heart you believe that, you are, we are, saved. Amen. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast. <laughs>